leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a regular on the program. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum, Scott Levine. Scott, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I mean, this is around the time that we do our Celtics episode. Um, last year, probably don't dig that up because it was just me being sad for uh, an hour. <laughs> for some reason, uh, Kyrie would stay and then we'd trade for Anthony Davis. Um, none of that happened. Uh, maybe some of the, some of that's okay that it didn't happen. Uh, maybe it's even good. Uh, Kemba Walker, obviously, is a Celtic now, which still feels surreal after supporting him. Um, Connecticut, you know, I, I am a Connecticut native, so Celtics fan, UConn basketball fan, um, but needless to say, I'm happy to be here and happy to talk about this uh, 2020 Celtics team. Yeah, for anyone that uh, listens to the, the pod regularly, they'll, they'll know Scott not only from, as you mentioned, the, the Celtics pods we've done throughout the years, but also our uh, our top 25 players pods, which we'll, we'll break that down a little bit as well as uh, we're going to be talking Celtics this episode. And, and Boston, we're recording this on a Tuesday night, and we're actually recording it during the uh, the Celtics-Nets game. We were hoping to, to start this recording after the game ended, but it's actually gone to overtime. So uh, as of right now, the Boston Celtics are at 41-18 and 18 and a third in the Eastern Conference standings and a very impressive fourth in offensive rating and fourth in defensive rating. And uh, obviously no Tatum this game. We did see Brooklyn kind of creep back into it. Uh, you know, they've kind of been able to use his shot-making as a late-shot clock strategy, um, let alone a strategy in general. And... Obviously, they didn't have quite the shot-making they needed to down the stretch because it's now in overtime. 
Yeah, and, and Brooklyn went to, to some zone at various stages, which uh, kind of threw the, the Celtics' offense off as, as Boston was kind of rip, shredding through the, the Brooklyn drop-back defense throughout much of this game. But, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, um, we're going to be recording for a little while, so this game will likely be over by the time we're done so we can update the, uh, the Celtics' record when, that, uh, when this game concludes. But, uh, Scott, I wanted to first break down uh, the the player that a lot of people have been talking about as of late, and that is Jason Tatum. You mentioned he's not playing tonight due to an illness, but uh, he just got awarded the Eastern Conference Player of the Month for the month of February. He averaged 30.7 points per game, 7.9 rebounds, 3.2 assists, and an incredible 51% from three for the month, and that accounted for 38% of his shot attempts, so a pretty heavy diet of those... Uh, those types of shots. So what uh, what has it been about Tatum's recent play that has impressed you the most? I think um, when you look at kind of his percentages from three uh, for the season, they're not that much different from previous seasons. Uh, the biggest difference is how many unassisted threes he is taking and making. Um, per cleaning the glass, uh, his first, his rookie year, 93% of his threes were assisted. Then it was 85 and now in his third season, only 57% of his threes are assisted. Um, he actually has the best unassisted three-point shooting uh, percentage per a tweet from Kurt Goldsberry. It says, um, for this season, he's leading at 41.5, followed by uh, Damian Lillard, 40.4. Uh, Paul George is on here at 32.9, rather. So it's pretty good company. Um, and, I mean, the... Uh, Point totals kind of—that's where it's coming from—is he's just taking and making a bunch of ridiculous uh, step back threes and um, really getting the mid range going. He's kind of gotten a little better from floater and layup range, which has always been a big struggle for him. So just a really great all around scoring year so far. Yeah, I mean, even last year he had some pretty decent off the dribble three point numbers, but he's up that frequency. You know, he's gone from 28% of his shot attempts last year from three point range up to 34 this year. And he's also cut down on a lot of those shots that uh, people, I think both of us included, did not like in his profile from the last few years. His, uh, his long mid range attempts have gone down from 22% of his shot attempts down to 13. So not only that increased, uh, you know, that better shot selection, but as you mentioned, just that uh, really good ability to, to create his own looks. And, and I think his, uh, his ball handling, his handle has, has uh, gotten a lot better, which has allowed him to get to, uh, get to his spots. Yeah, you still see some instances where uh, it looks a little uh, loose, specifically the Raptors, not the Raptors, the Rockets game, where a lot of the, like, the, the kind of, uh, really tough defenders got into his space and were able to affect that. Um, but yeah, you could definitely say um, he's using his powers for good and not for evil, <laughs> as I like to say, because instead of uh, dribbling in for a off the dribble two, he's dribbling to the side off a closeout for um, an uncontested three. And you can see that from the beginning. I think that's something he really emphasized um, over the off season, and that along with uh, his defensive improvement from the get-go were the first two things that popped to me um, even before he went on this current tear. Yeah, and I think the, you know, playing with Daniel Tice more, who is who is not only a good initial screener, but he does a good job of, of blocking off the, the help defender, essentially setting a second screen 
as the as the ball handlers get to the basket. And Tatum has such long arms, he's able to reach and and get to the rim. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been very impressive. And uh, I I mentioned uh, when we were starting that we we do a a top twenty five players in the NBA ranking. We did that at the start of the season, and we neither of us had Tatum in there. But uh, if you ask me now, I would say he's uh, he's firmly in that top thirty. Yeah, definitely, definitely in the top thirty. It's just a matter of how high up he is at this point. Um, I remember near the beginning of the season, uh, somebody you know had some tweet about how they still think Tatum has the most potential. I said I wasn't sure who it was between him and Brown, um, which looked like a legitimate argument at the time. Maybe from my perspective, uh, maybe I was just being dumb then too. But uh, yeah, I said that based on how Jalen had played, you you really can't put a ceiling on him either right now. And uh, I think you quote tweeted that and said, yeah, I, I mean, Brown's been more impressive so far. Um, so even going into the first few months of the season, we were just like, all right, Tatum, um, <laughs> time to uh, live up to this kind of uh, superstar potential that we've uh, been promised for so long. Well, yeah, and that wasn't, you know, for me, that wasn't as much of an insult on Tatum as it was a compliment of Brown. I think Brown has made major strides on, on both ends of the floor, and I think he's even, you know, maybe not quite there, but I think he deserves to be in the discussion in that top 30 range. Oh, I definitely agree. He looked like he was going to be the second all-star for the Celtics until um, Tatum obviously had his resurgence around uh, it was December, I think, where he really started bowling out, and then it was like, okay, it's it's, it's Tatum. Yeah, and, and I think Boston fans, uh, you included, should be excited given that uh, they've got Tatum and Brown for uh, for the foreseeable future. That's a good base to build on two wings that are, are two-way guys, and, and yeah, Tatum seems to be uh, developing into that number one option. So this is kind of the big question for me. Um, when you talk about number one option, I think that I guess you never want to put a cap on Tatum's potential um, because I didn't think he would, you know, obviously shoot 41.5% on unassisted three-point shots and going into like two-thirds of the way through a season. That's incredible. Um, I do think that is maybe a concern that a lot of his success relies on hitting a high percentage of off-the-dribble shots. Um I don't think he's necessarily still an offensive engine in the way uh, Kemba Walker is. Um, we kind of, I mean, that was kind of the big takeaway from the Houston game was we just couldn't manufacture consistent offense because Tatum was not quite hitting yeah. his shots. And it's like, you want your number one option to be able to have a high impact on the offense, even if his shots aren't falling. So in Kemba's case, you know, Points-wise, uh, true shooting percentage-wise, they've been about the same this year. Um, I, I still think, I, I don't know who's had a better season necessarily, but I think um, any idea that like they're similar offensively, I think maybe a little premature for Tatum, um, just because Kemba is able to create these dents consistently, uh, has the threat of his shot that opens up uh, high-level passes, uh, etc., and Tatum, it's more about just like getting to his shot. So if he's not on that night, it really has diminishing returns on the overall impact of the offense. Yeah, that's that's a fair point, and I, I, I certainly think Tatum still needs to improve, especially with his consistency in terms of his shot profile. You know, you, you mentioned that Houston game, and, and Houston obviously does a lot of switching, and they don't have a lot of size and rim protection, especially when, 
when P.J. Tucker comes off the floor. And so in that game, you I would have liked to have seen Tatum attack the basket a little more than he did. I think he settled for, for too many of those step-back threes. And yes, also, I think a, a major thing that, that Tatum's going to have to develop if he wants to be a best guy on a championship team is that passing. Uh, you, you see too often when, you know, when he's gotten it hot, there was uh, that, that Lakers game recently, he got really hot. They started double-teaming him. And he did a lot of the things that uh, I've seen DeRozan do over the years. Instead of just making that simple pass, which sets up a four-on-three, he just maintains the dribble, dribbles around the double team, and and really doesn't get anywhere for the offense. Yeah, and this is kind of all the reasons why um, I had reservations about him as kind of a quote-unquote lock to be a superstar. Um, I feel... Because he's been so accurate and such a good shot maker, I almost feel like his performance warrants me saying, okay, maybe he's not like an offensive engine in the style of, um, you know, James Harden or Luka Doncic, some guy who's going to like make the right pass or whatever every single time, get separation off the dribble every single time. Um, But he might be good enough at this shot making thing to still reach that level um, despite having the superstar mold that we're kind of used to from those two types of players. Yeah, and we we can't overstate the fact that, and it's actually, we're again, we're recording on a Tuesday night, and, and it actually looks like Boston's going to lose this game in overtime to, to Brooklyn uh, to fall to 41-19, and but uh, this is also Jason Tatum's birthday today, and he is just 22 years old. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're talking about most of the time with primes being in that 26-28 to 28 range, who knows what kind of a player he's going to be in four years? Yes, yes, um, and yeah, and if he if he gets that kind of um, complete playmaking package, um, obviously he's he's going to be a superstar. But yeah, like I've said, there's still a chance for him um, to reach that level anyway. When you think of like top ten or so players, you have the two I mentioned, Harden and Luca. You have Steph, um, still I think LeBron, Giannis. KD, which I don't think he'll reach quite KD's level, but another name that I, th- I see being thrown at as a comparison is Paul George. Um, as I mentioned, Paul George, also an elite off-the-dribble three-point shooter, uh, really good defender. So I think if Tatum's going to reach that level, it'll be more in the mold of Paul George, which, you know, we both had him in the top ten for our uh, ratings for this season, so that's uh, he's no slouch. Overall. <laughs> yeah, and, and that might be that might be good enough if he gets into that category. You know, the the Celtics will be in contention given all the other talent they've got around him. I wanted to bring up you you brought up Kemba a little bit earlier, and uh, the fact that you still think he's probably the the go to guy, especially uh, this season for this team. And how have you felt about his uh, his presence compared to that of uh, of Kyrie Irving? Oh, I, I think Kemba Walker's incredible and. I don't. It's it's really hard, it's really difficult for me to kind of parse through who's a better basketball player. You, we've just seen Kyrie Irving do things on a basketball court that few others have done, including other superstars. Um, I, I I mean that kind of 2016 series is still fresh in our head, where he just looked like a superhuman. Um, some of his layups are just ridiculous. Right. Uh, it, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, that being said, um, I think that. Kemba's impact on this team has been better, and it's really hard to argue otherwise. Um, what I really like about Kemba 
this it. I don't think this is possible. We're talking like we're talking about the leap from Jalen from uh, Jason Tatum. Uh, I don't know if all that's possible if uh, Kemba is or if Kyrie is the point guard instead of Kemba. I really like how he's kind of been like a hands-off facilitator. He he will run the offense, but he won't when he doesn't need to, um, which I think is very important when you had two guys. Remember, they were the two key guys in an Eastern Conference playoff run in 2018 when Kyrie was hurt. They they know how good they are, and, you know, they rightfully think they can hang with anybody. Um, And so to have them have to take a backseat, that was a huge part of the bad chemistry last year. And Kemba, he kind of realizes how good they are. Maybe not that Kyrie doesn't, but um, what I'm trying to say is that the way Kemba's played um, allows them to show how good they are. Yeah, I don't. I don't really think there's any doubt that that Kemba Walker has more value than Kyrie, at least in the regular season. You know, not only because he's more durable, even though you know Kemba is coming off of an injury, but but Kyrie's out for the year. Um, but uh, also, you know, yeah, you you mentioned the chemistry things. I think Kyrie really killed that team's chemistry last year, and this year it it feels very much like when when guys are are going well, when Tatum's getting hot or Jalen Brown or even Kemba, it feels like this team is supporting each other and and really happy for for everybody when they succeed. And I was worried about how Kemba would adjust. I'm I'm sure probably there's like a clip of me, us talking about this um, on the last podcast, you know, ranking the players. I was like, okay, this guy is used to being a very ball-dominant player. Um, <laughs> must have run like 50 screen rolls per game with Cody Zeller on the <laughs> yeah. Hornets. You know, that was, that, was, that, was her, that was the only thing they really could do a lot of the time. And so I was like, okay, um, how is he going to kind of acquiesce to just not being the guy? And we quickly learned he only did that because he had to, not because necessarily he wanted to. Right, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's put up solid numbers, similar numbers to what he's done in, in his, throughout his career, and uh, yeah, he's he's fit in pretty seamlessly. Another guy that has uh, you know improved just ma- mainly because he's he's further away from that catastrophic injury he suffered. And uh, Gordon Hayward, he's been a guy that has started to put up at least uh, from you know sh- shooting perspective, similar to numbers to what he did in Utah. What have you seen out of his progression and his recovery, and do you think he is uh, close to the player that we saw with the Jazz? Uh, I don't think he's close to the player I, we saw with the Jazz. He's been about what I expected this year. Um, the fact that like no one talks about him is a good thing, I think, <laughs> just because um, if you're you're going to be talked about if you're being paid that much money, um, and not if people feel like you're not close to living up to that. Um, so maybe he's not quite a $30 million player, but, you know, if that's just like uh, $10 million per year or so above his value, I mean, that's okay. Um, maybe less, I don't know. I kind of compare him to like, you know, a top 50 type player who uh, is never going to be the star. He's never going to be the fulcrum of the offense, but just makes everything a little easier, a little better. I, I told my friend who's a Sixers fan, he was just like, hey, what do you think? What kind of impact do you think um, – Hayward's going to have this season. I was like, you know, um, so, somewhere around like Boyan Bogdanovich, you know, that kind of player who everyone likes. No one's saying like, no one's clamoring to build around him or anything, but everyone appreciates him. Uh, everyone knows what he brings to the table, and uh, he can be one of the better players on the court on any given night. 
Yeah, uh, I think he's been he's been pretty darn good. The 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 numbers don't necessarily reflect what I'm about to say because he is shooting seventy percent at the rim according to cleaning the glass, and he's he's getting there at at a similar frequency to even his Jazz days. But to me, the the big differential when just based on the eye test is his finishing at the rim, especially if he's got to be off balance, if he's, you know, doing a Euro step or a spin move right before he has to explode up to the rim. It seems like those plays in particular, you you begin to notice, oh yeah, this isn't quite the same level of athlete that we saw just a few years ago. Yeah, he he looks best um, not initiating the offense, but like, you know, just catching it, attacking a closeout, uh, and then making a quick decision from there. Um, I still really... Uh, admire his decision making I think he's maybe one of the he, he's top two <laughs> in terms of uh, decision makers and like you know how quickly he thinks the game on the court it's him and Kemba uh, as good as Jalen and Jason are I, I, I think he has a leg up on them in terms of those instincts um, just from doing it for so long and that really shines through sometimes it's just more in situations where he's a complimentary player yeah, um, the the thing I do think that has improved this year, specifically compared to to last season, is the is the spot up shooting. He's up to thirty eight percent from three, and also his pull up game. He looks pretty close to where he was in Utah in terms of his off the dribble pulling up and and getting a little bit of elevation and and being pretty consistent knocking those shots down. He's at forty seven percent from mid range. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very clear last year was a recovery year and. A lot of those skills are still there. Um, Like we've kind of said, just not the same athletic pop that allows him to run the offense. Yeah, so uh, another key guy on this team, a guy that due to all of the injuries that the Celtics have suffered this season, uh, has has been in the starting lineup for for most of the year, and that is Marcus Smart. He's a guy that, uh, you know, I've been a little bit... uh, less high on than, than most throughout the years, mainly because, you know, his, his three-point shooting for most of his career has been a problem and has been a detriment to his team's offense. But but this year he's got the three-point shot up to 36%, and boy, is that guy a good defender. Marcus Smart, um, for me, is kind of the frog in boiling water test, uh, <laughs> where you just, you, you, you know that expression, right, where, like, the frog doesn't realize that the water's boiling because it's just been bathing in it. Oh, gotcha, yeah. Because it just slowly gets hotter and hotter. That's kind of what it's been, um, <laughs> which is kind of a dark analogy now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I just, wow, wow. I just saw Norvell Pell miss two wide-open layups. Okay, yeah, I, I've kept the TV on um, after the Celtics game. Sorry. Yeah, it's the, the Lakers and uh, and the yeah, Sixers the, going the on Sixers. now. Oh, that was, that was incredible. But... That's how I kind of feel with Marcus Smart, um, just because he slowly got better every year, improved the shot uh, last year, really improved it this year, and you just kind of blink and you're like, wow, this guy is like a top 40 player, and I feel pretty confidently about that. I mean, what doesn't he bring? Elite defense, uh, shooting, decent playmaking in a pinch, um, hustle, rebounding, it's like, he's really, really good, and he just kind of slowly became that after, you know, we were like, was that the best use of the sixth pick? Uh, I guess he's good, you know, on the first couple seasons and to becoming what he is now. Yeah, I mean, the the versatility is outstanding. You know, he had a, he had a big-time block on Jared Allen in this game at the rim. 
uh, really impressive rejection. That'll probably make the Sports Center top ten plays. Uh, and uh, you know his his offensive versatility as well. You mentioned his ability to to basically he can he can be your backup point guard. He can also play off the ball and, and knock down shots. He's also you know even at thirty six percent he's also a uh, uh, he's not shy. He gets up a lot of shots as well. Uh, and and yeah, it seems like slowly but surely opponents uh, are, are starting to respect his his shooting a little bit more, not leaving him as open as they did in the past. Oh, yeah, and uh, since you're in front of me, I'm just now seeing the, the two missed layups that you were referencing <laughs> earlier. Um, <laughs> I have not seen that. <laughs> <laughs> I just picked the second one. Yeah. But, there was no one guarding him. Right. But, uh, but yeah, Smart has, Smart has been excellent. And, and another thing that, uh, you know, I, I think is has not been talked about in, as far as his improvement this year is... Uh, you know his, his turnover percentage. The last couple of years, he was in the sixth and ninth percentile in turnover rate. This year, he's up to seventy-nine. He's in the seventy-ninth percentile, so he's doing a lot better job of of not only still being that playmaker, but uh, also taking care of the basketball. I did, I didn't even know that, but that I mean that kind of passes the eye test. Uh, <laughs> Marcus always kind of was one for audacious shots and passes early in his career. And you just don't really see that anymore. Every, every, you know, three that could maybe be a, seen as a chuck in his previous years, maybe because he wasn't as good of a shooter. Even even that game where he took like twenty two threes, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I get it. You know, well, he, he, he's fairly open. Um, he can make them off the dribble. Uh, I, I get it. Maybe twenty two is a lot of threes. Uh, but if you make eleven, I think that's okay. Yeah, he did make eleven, and he has the. Celtics record. He he broke Ray Allen's record of ten, which I thought was uh, quite enjoyable for me. Yes, that is that is a weird thing to say that he's breaking any of uh, of Ray Allen's records, but yeah. Uh, but but yeah, he is a great complement to those uh, those four scores in Kemba, Jalen, Jason, and uh, and Gordon Hayward, and another guy that's a that's a pretty good complementary piece. Does all of the little things is Daniel Tice. And, uh, you know, the Stan Van Gundy, who is doing the, the broadcast tonight, who uh, is, is my new favorite uh, color commentator he's, in the NBA. Really yes, uh, he, he was mentioning that, uh, that Tice is one of the most underrated players in the NBA, and, and he's a big reason, in my mind, why they're uh, a top-five defense. Yeah, he's kind of the uh, X factor, especially... Um, it, okay, it doesn't look like we're going to face the Sixers in the playoffs. Um, it just doesn't. Uh, it looks like we're going to be the two or the three seed, uh, barring an, another surge from Miami. It looks like we're going to play the Raptors, uh, who don't have too much size, in my opinion. Definitely have size, but not to the degree of Philly. Um, where the size concerns me is against the Bucks. Obviously, um, we kind of learned that the recipe for stopping them is just stationing a bunch of big people. Um, in transition near the rim so that Giannis can't do his Giannis stuff. And Tice is going to be have to be one of the, the biggest of those big people. Um, him, Tatum. Um, I guess we'll have to try out Semi Ojale, which always is tough because when we have to bring him out, we obviously lose a bit on offense. Right. Um, but he is going to be have to be the main guy um, getting back in transition and walling up Giannis, um, which is to say I don't really think we'll win that series, but 
I think he'll be better at it than a lot of people expected. They were like, oh, Celtics don't really have like a, a true starting center. Um, I guess uh, Enos Kanter, Daniel Tice, you guess you're doing center by committee, just throwing a bunch of backups out there. Um, but I, I think he's been a starting caliber center this season. Yeah, he's um, yeah. I would say he's been about an average starting center. His defense is really solid. His offensive game is limited, but you know he's 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 capable of hitting a three. He's got he's okay at hitting that you know little ten foot jumper as well. Uh, the the challenge, as you mentioned, is uh, you know his lack of of big time size, and that's where the the losses of of Al Horford and and even Aaron Baines are going to hurt if they were to match up against Milwaukee. But also, you said they might not play the Sixers, but I think you were thinking about the second round. They could be playing Philly in round one. (laughs) Yo, wow, you're not wrong. Because, oh, yeah, because if... um, It'd be the 3-6. 3 versus 6, yeah. So, um, I'm a little lower on Indiana than most. I think um, this is going to be a feeling out period. Um, as Oladipo kind of gets his sea legs under him, um, I think Brogdon is going to have to adjust a lot of his game because uh, the way they ran stuff with him and Sabonis, it was very ball-dominant, you know, kind of very much a two-man game. Um, And so I wonder how that will all fit together on the fly. I think they'll be good. I think they'll be really good next year when they have an offseason to figure all this out. But it's, I mean... Maybe the losses have just been, you know, a lot of bad luck, uh, a lot of, like, Oladipo really just trying to figure it out now, and maybe he'll look better in a couple weeks. But I I do wonder how they'll finish the season. Yeah, that's the, you know, the the Raptors and Celtics are battling for that 2-3 spot, and and really that's that's not only big for having home court in that second round, but also just avoiding either the the Sixers or the Pacers in round one I think is a big benefit to being that two seed. We'll see how all of that plays out. But yeah, going back to, to Daniel Tice, I think, you know, one of the other issues, and we saw it a little bit in that Houston game, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts as to whether or not he looked like he was uh, you know, worthy of being out there on the floor because with Houston going small and, and switching everything, he's not a guy that you can throw the ball to and have him attack on the block. Yeah, I think that's just something you have to kind of live with um, and find, find find weapons anywhere else because if we bring out Cantor, who obviously can take advantage of mismatches, um, that's going to be really tough on defense against a five-out Rockets team. Yeah, and I thought um, I thought Tice was good defensively in that game. Yeah. Yeah, so I think with the Rockets especially, um, if you don't have a, a two-way force as a big man who can, if you don't have like a, I, I don't know, who, who's like a, like a, <laughs> I guess Embiid, um, I don't feel great about him in a five-out offense, but we go with him. If you don't have a guy who can guard the way the Rockets play offense, um, then even if he can post up people, I just think, don't think it's worth having him out there. I guess Anthony Davis was the player I'm looking for. Yeah, so, you know, obviously there there was a lot of talk about, um, you know, the Celtics potentially being a, uh, a buyer at the deadline. That didn't end up really coming to fruition. Uh, part of it, I imagine, is just the challenge of, of matching salary. But a guy like Clint Capella was on the block and eventually was traded to the Atlanta Hawks. Were you disappointed at all that the Celtics didn't really go for it this year and and make a, an upgrade? Ultimately, not really. 
I think part of me was like, you know, Romeo Langford's barely playing. Uh, we have a few picks we wouldn't mind losing um, just because we have a lot. I, I'm kind of glad we didn't give up the Memphis pick. Um, so I think that was maybe the line and why something didn't get done is because a lot of people wanted that pick, um, especially when it looks like Memphis is not going to make the playoffs. Um, and obviously, yeah, you, you always want your team to like in the moment to make a slight upgrade, but I mean, Capella does have like three years left at probably an above average, like center salary, um, in terms of how much he's being paid. Uh, and, I don't think we were a Capella away, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a fair. That's a fair thought. And, and the thing is, like, I don't know if you can play Capella and Tice. I don't know if Tice is quite versatile enough on offense to warrant that. Right. Um, and you need to find guys who are going to be both big and be able to play with each other on offense to beat the Bucks. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, again, yeah, the likelihood that you probably have to maybe throw in smart to make the salary work, too, also, you know, makes that uh, upgrade upgrading that was, to Capella at center not uh, not as big an upgrade for the one. team. That was, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just got excited because that was a really tough week, um, seeing Marcus Smart in so many ESPN trade machine screenshots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I agree with you there. And also, given, you know, the, the age of uh, of a lot of their core, and even guys like, you know, Kemba, Tyson, and uh, Gordon Hayward, they're still in their late 20s. They're, uh, I don't think they're going to suffer, at least I would hope they aren't going to suffer a big drop-off next year. So, yeah, with an offseason, Danny Ainge will have an opportunity to maybe, uh, you know, build around the uh, the edges of, of the roster. And you'll also get some development from from some of their young rookies that we've seen, which is uh, the, the next place that I want to uh, talk to you about. And how have you felt about uh, the the likes of the guy that has been playing the most in the rotation, and that is uh, Tennessee's Grant Williams? I, I loved Grant Williams um, going back to, like, I mean, even before March, um, January, I want to say. <laughs> I mean, there was kind of a early, there were the early adapters to Grant Williams, so, for those who don't know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm part of draft Twitter, begrudgingly. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, we have fun there. But um, Grant Williams was one, one of like the early guys who everyone's like, oh, this guy's so smart, you know, he plays great team defense, he's great touch around the rim, you know, he can't quite shoot the three yet, but might figure it out. Um, another one of those guys was Brandon Clark, uh, who I liked a little bit more. Celtics uh, decided to do the whole Tybal gambit. Um, would have been great if Tybal was also on the team. Um, so they went <laughs> yeah. Tybal and then Clark. You know, Memphis got him, which I think was amazing for them. That's probably the best possible scenario for Brandon. Um, so good for them. And I was a little disappointed because we had to pick a 20, but we, you know, did the other thing. And then at 22, we selected Grant, and I was like, okay. I, I was the Alonzo Morning meme. You know, where he's, like, shaking his head and then is like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was me uh, watching watching the TV. Um, <laughs> and uh, ultimately, yeah, I felt okay about that draft. Grant's been great. I mean, in the beginning of the season, he was, like, unplayable on offense. But he's been able to knock down a few threes. And he's just time and time again been in the center, been front and center on a lot of key wins for this season, you know, just making the right play on defense or making the extra pass and doing all the Grant Williams stuff that many would hope he'd 
did, including myself. Yeah, I mean, he's been, uh, I've been pretty impressed with him. I mean, he's got already, he's got great size and strength. He, he can't get bullied. Uh, he, as you mentioned, he seems to be an intelligent player, does the little thing, sets solid screens, you know, gets the occasional offensive rebound. The, the, the big thing for me, and, and again, I, I think it's a lot to expect of a, of a rookie to be above average on either end of the floor, but he kind of just seems like an average player on both ends at, at this stage. And, and the key for him and, and the key for, I think, Boston in a lot of ways is uh, for him to, to develop into an above-average guy on, on either end of the floor. And, and frankly, defensively, the biggest issue I've seen is he, uh, you know, he, he tends to get blown by off the dribble when he does switch out on the perimeter. He does, he does. And uh, also sometimes he can look a little small defending some bigger players. Um, he is only about, like, 6'6". Six, six. Um, kind of more of a four than a five. Uh, I do think that playing alongside Tice has helped him just because um, Tice can provide that spacing and that center defense, whereas Grant can, you know, um, not have to worry about being a spacing threat and then not have to worry about being the strong side rim protector. That's kind of the role I see him doing best in, you know, if, if, if a team can find that perfect fit for him. Um, we'll see if... Uh, Celtics continue to though you know I don't, I don't know how long Tice will be around um, and you know when we're talking about the Celtics future because Tatum and uh, Jalen are so young you have to kind of project a little bit beyond the careers of Tice and the prime of Kemba and Hayward and be like well what's is, is, are, are they going to have enough you know if nothing happens when Tatum's like 27 Right. Um, yeah, and they've, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the pod, they've got that, uh, they've got that Memphis pick. Maybe that can turn into something. They've also, they've also got a couple of other rookies that we haven't discussed yet, in the likes of Romeo Lankford and Carson Edwards. Lankford has started to get a little bit of run as of late, maybe due to to some injuries on the roster. But uh, uh, and, and then even Carson Edwards got in tonight as uh, as Brooklyn went into the zone. I think Brad Stevens kind of brought him in as a zone breaker, and he, he knocked down a couple of threes. But what have been your thoughts of, uh, of those two youngsters? Yeah, I, I don't know quite what to expect yet. They're both guys who, by the nature of their games, um, it'll either work out pretty well or it just won't work out at all. You know, they're both very scoring-oriented, and we've kind of seen there's a very hit-or-miss nature to those types of prospects. Um, which I think it's it's good that we you know took a gamble on Langford in the lottery and Carson at 33 was a no-brainer. I, I just don't quite have an opinion on them as NBA players yet. Yeah, um, they they both to me seem like they've got uh, you know they've got NBA size and and look like you know I think Danny Ainge's strategy is to make this a more switching team. I think that's why he he uh, basically has elected Tice to to be the main center on this roster. Because he is a decent switch center, and you know you've got uh, Edwards. Even though he's short, he's he's very bulky and strong. And uh, you know Grant Williams, another guy that I think projects to be a, a potential switch defender. But yeah, it's it's still early on them, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, you know what they can get out of them in, in years to come. But yeah, it's also that's the challenge of you know having a bunch of these draft picks when you're a good basketball team. You might not get to play these guys and get them as much experience as you would like, given how young and inexperienced they are. And the big question for me, because I've kind of conceded this season and I don't know 
what next season will hold in terms of like championship aspirations. Um, I, I do think it might actually be a little harder. <laughs> I, I think, you know, the Clippers and the Lakers will somehow, I don't know how, but I think they'll both be better just maybe from having another year with this core. Um, I mean, if Giannis stays at Milwaukee, they're obviously a problem. Uh, Siakam, I still don't know how many more leaps he has. So, um, it's not like we'll just have a chance to, uh, you know, improve and then win. Everyone else is going to improve too. Um, so I guess putting the Kemba era aside, cause I don't want to assume anything, um, or get my hopes up. How do you kind of forecast a team, uh, being led by, you know, Jalen Brown with him as like kind of the, uh, you know, creator type getting, beating guys off the dribble and Tatum as kind of like the Paul George type play finisher who also has a ton of shot making himself. How do you kind of project that offensively as like the bedrock of a, you know, a contending level offense? That's interesting. I, I, um, you know, if those are your two main guys, I, I think there's going to take, there's going to have to be a lot of development as, as far as the passing, you know, that's, that's the big thing. If those two guys are your main two, it's, it's going to be a bit of a struggle just because I don't think they're making other guys better. Uh, and right now they've got that nice balance of, you mentioned Kemba's playmaking out there and also Gordon Hayward. I think that's been one of the, the best assets of having Hayward on this team is he gives them a little extra dose of passing that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, but, but, you know, I, they've got Hayward locked up as well, at least I think through next year, as far as I know. Um, so, you know, I, I think you, you talk about a core of, of Kemba, Jalen, Jason, and, uh, and Gordon, that, that's to me that is uh, the the foundation of a really good offense for at least the next couple of seasons yeah and I guess I'm looking uh, too far in, into the future being like okay uh, will this team take advantage of Tatum's prime you know if he, if he is this superstar player are we going to build enough around him um, Jalen's obviously could easily be a very important piece of that too um I don't really see either as kind of the engine who gets other guys involved, like you said. Um, I think Jalen has some untapped potential there just because I find that he's able to beat guys off the dribble so cleanly this season, whereas Tatum, it's still a little bit of a struggle. Um, He's not, like, uh, you know, burning guys as much as I see Jalen. But, again, Jalen's still not always making the correct read once he does burn those guys. So um, if he does develop in there, I see him as kind of being – a really good complementary creator to Tatum, um, and, who are, and they're them being both kind of imperfect, uh, but their flaws being masked by one another. Yeah, and I think a lot of if you yeah if you're talking about how the Celtics will be in in 2025 or 2026, I think a lot of it's going to come down to the likes of a Langford and and what happens with this Memphis pick and and if they can get any with their own picks or second rounders, if they can find anything on the edges, um, you know, to, to build out a team for the future. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly excited about this Celtics team for not necessarily this year, but in 2021, 2022, those couple of seasons. And uh, I, I do agree with you in, in part about a lot of the other contenders in the NBA getting better, uh, especially the Clippers, you know, the Clippers, their, their star players in, in George and Leonard, I don't think are going to decline anytime soon. But as far as the Lakers, you know, I think at some point, it hasn't happened yet, but at some point, LeBron's going to get worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, again, 
um, it kind of like that's a situation at this point where I'm just like, wake me up when it happens. You, you <laughs> yeah. know, you're not wrong that it's a possibility. Um, I just feel like they'll do something um, this off season. Maybe, maybe, maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. Maybe they're ca- maybe they really are cashed out and they have no way to like improve this roster. Um, but you just wonder. Uh, if they can like have a full off season to tinker and you know not have to worry about having enough players and uh, all that stuff, if they can just find a way to get some type of like tertiary creator that they've really needed this season, um, I, I don't know how they get better though. You're you're right. But I mean, I, I trust I trust Danny Ainge. He's made a lot of good moves uh, throughout the years. So uh, if anyone's gonna uh, find a way to to turn this team into a into a true contender next year, I think it would be him. But yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see. But I, I uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as far as this season and and what you expect from from the rest of the regular season and also uh, where you expect or how far you expect this team to get in the playoffs. Because from from what I see in the East, it seems like it's Milwaukee and everyone else. It seems like any of those you know two through six seeds could potentially see themselves in the conference finals. I'll give you three words. Celtics in seven. <laughs> over um, over who? <laughs> <laughs> the Raptors, hopefully. <laughs> okay, interesting. So yeah, um, uh, that that matchup to me is is really fascinating. Both of those teams are are really good on both ends of the floor, and uh, you know they they maybe lack that that you know ultra superstar level of talent, but they're also extremely well coached. That would be. To me, one of the most fascinating series if uh, if it does come to fruition. They are the team I fear most outside of the Bucks um, in the East playoffs. I mean, <laughs> like, how could you not be afraid of Kyle Lowry if your team's playing against him? Dude's a genius. Uh, like you talked about, Siakam, uh, Fred VanVleet can just be a flamethrower whenever he feels like it, and just Nick Nurse, obviously a great coach, and they've been there before. You know, they have. I mean, Zach Lowe has kind of talked about it um, on a recent podcast I was listening to. Like, they just have a championship swagger um, when things go bad during the regular season. It's okay. You know, they don't panic, and they try something weird, like a a new zone defense that Nick Nurse is uh, scribbling up in his mad scientist lab or something like that. And they're oftentimes coming back into these games just because they stay calm and they plan accordingly. Yeah, and, and speaking of some of the similarities between the Celtics and the Raptors, both of these teams have dealt with a ton of injuries. You know, they were, uh, again, Stan Van Gundy was talking on the on the game tonight that the Celtics have only had eight games with their full complement of players. The Raptors, I'm sure it's it's a pretty similar stat as well. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that's going to be a big factor in, in who might win that series as well is if, if one of those teams can just get healthy. Uh, yeah, I mean... I think that the most exciting, the, the series I'm looking forward to the most, and I don't know which teams will advance, so maybe take this with a grain of salt. I think Clippers versus Lakers will be fascinating. That's who I, it looks like will be the conference final matchup. Um, I think Bucks and whoever those teams wins will be an amazing finals matchup. And I think Celtics-Raptors will be an awesome matchup. I think those would be the top three for me. Yeah, I like all of those. I also like the idea of a of a Houston versus uh, 
Los Angeles Lakers matchup. I yes. think that's a fascinating one in terms of Houston potentially forcing the Lakers to to go away from their traditional centers that they uh, they've had so much success with. But uh, absolutely, that would actually, be more interesting, like from a strategic standpoint, than Clippers Lakers. I mean, Clippers has LeBron versus Kawhi. You know, you have all the prestige there, but. No, I mean from a style, from a strategy like basketball nerd perspective, like you and me, maybe it is Rockets Lakers that would be the most interesting. Well, yeah, Clippers Lakers. The fascinating aspect of that would be the Lakers getting seven home games in a series if it were to go seven <laughs> games. But uh, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, so Scott, was there anything else about the uh, the Celtics or the NBA in general you wanted to uh, discuss before we wrap this up? Uh, uh, not really. It's, just, it's been an amazing season uh, to watch. Um, a lot, a lot of my attention has been focused on Zion Williamson lately. I've, I've decided not to like worry too much about the Rookie of the Year debate just because a lot of that just comes down to like personal philosophy on the award, <laughs> right? Uh, which I think is impossible to argue with uh, one another. So, I don't know. Morant's been amazing. Jo- uh, Zion's been even better, but played less. Uh, I'm fine with either winning. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I uh, got the pleasure to see Zion when he uh, came to Cleveland and, and played the Cavs. That was that was cool to see him. And uh, yeah, it would be uh, speaking of uh, fun potential series. It would be awesome if uh, if New Orleans were able to snag that eight seed and take on the Lakers in round one. And, and it's really looking like they will snag that eight seed, isn't it? Yeah, they've got uh, I believe the easiest schedule or one of the one of the top two easiest schedules out of the entire NBA. So. Well, Scott, this was this was a heck of a lot of fun, and uh, thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time. Absolutely, Garrett. Uh, thanks uh, for having me on. Really appreciate what you're doing here. I'm always like, I don't know, like, like I, I, I always like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I, I forget. I forget how, fun, how much fun is being on this podcast, so thanks. Well, good. I'm I'm glad. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll have you on again. I'm sure, and, and maybe we'll have to actually switch up the subject one of these times because it's uh, it's getting a little predictable. <laughs> uh, it's okay. You know, we can really master having talking about two subjects, be it top thirty players or the Celtics. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks again. All right. Bye, Garrett. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter, at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to, uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from, uh, from the people listening to the program, and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Woodwork prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. 
Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.